Great new start, eh? How many people here from another nation? How many from another nation? Let's just say, put your hand up. You come from another nation. You originate from another nation. Put your hand up. See how many people are here. There we are. Look at them all over the place. And a whole lot of hands online. Can let's give them all a clap and welcome them. You know, Jesus said, my house should be a house of prayer of many nations. In other words, that it's inclusive. God is inclusive. So we're ready to start another year. I've got the privilege of being able to share something, a message that I felt God put on my heart for you. So I encourage you to open your Bible if you have one with you or your phone if you're using that. And uh, open your heart to let God challenge you some way today. And uh, so I want to speak, the message I want to speak, I want to call it on new beginnings. You know, everyone, I come in here, everyone says Happy New Year. Well, obviously it's a new year for everyone, you know. New Year, the old one's gone, and we're glad of the old one's gone. Anyone glad it's gone? Oh, yeah. I was blessed in last year, and I'm going to be blessed this year. So first thing is, life is full of new beginnings. I don't know whether you thought about that, but life is full of new beginnings. You know, every day is a new day. He blesses us daily with his benefits, you know. We have to remember every day's a new day. You get up, you got a new chance. Every week is a new week. So we start the week, it's a new beginning. Every month, it's a new beginning. And at the end of the year, we start another year, new beginning. And that's the kind of sense people have. They try to make resolutions, which seldom work out, but the, the thinking is there anyway. The intention is there, a new year. It'll be different this year for me. And uh, so we, we have that way of thinking, you know. But, uh, you know, again, seasons, we have new seasons. So we're in a great season right now. And uh, we're only ever one decision away from something new. Think about that. You are only one decision away from something new. So we can wait for God to do stuff or we can make decisions about something new. And uh, God is a God of new beginnings. God loves new beginnings. Uh, the Bible starts off, in the beginning, God. So God is always connected with something new beginning. I love that. And so I wonder what new beginning God has planned for you that you've got to decide to step into this year. And uh, it's always a decision, you know, in Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, he says, don't remember or focus on the former things, they're gone. In other words, don't get preoccupied with where you've been and what you've done and the failures, mistakes, opportunities you missed. But he says, he says, behold, I do a new thing. So God is very creative. He's not limited. The problem is we get used to routine and we then get boring. And God wants us to enter a new year, enter something new. How about that? So we're constantly being offered an opportunity for something new. Even to be born again means something new has started in our life. The Spirit of God has entered our life. We now have a new beginning. So always there's opportunities for a new beginning. And I want to take a passage, just going to take one passage in the Bible. It's one that Pastor David's been uh, preaching out of in that area and uh, also one that I've spoken on a little bit. And uh, I want you to go with me into Genesis 35 and read verses 1 through to 9. And this is the story in the life of a man called Jacob, and he has a new beginning. And I want to show you some some, some key things in the new beginning that we can apply to our life. So let's read it. Genesis 35, one, God said to Jacob, arise, go to Bethel, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. 
And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves and change your garments. Notice God never said anything about that. We'll come back to that later. Let us arise and go to Bethel and I will make an altar to God there who answered me in the day of my distress and has been me in the way which I've gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings in their ears and Jacob hid them under the oak tree in Shechem. And they journeyed and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Bethel in the land of Canaan, he and all the people with him and he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, the God of Bethel, because God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. And then we go down to verse, 30, verse nine, then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And a tremendous amount in the passage. So always when you look into these passages, you've got to always look, what is the background or what is the context which this happened in? Because it's out of that you'll often see some parallels for our own life. So just prior to this event, Jacob has gone through a colossal upheaval in his life. He's had a major, major upheaval that's left him in terrible fear. And what has happened to him as he's been on a journey, he's just gotten over the possible conflict with his brother and the possible loss of his life and everything there. And now he's on his journey again. And uh, they come to a, uh, to a place and uh, the place uh, is somewhere around the... I can't remember where, it's not far from where they were. And uh, they, they, there was a tribe there and uh, the tribe's leader, the son of the leader of the tribe was the name of Shechem. His name was Shechem. And uh, what happened there was that Shechem f- fell for Jacob's daughter Dinah. When he saw her, he got enamored with her and then he violently forced himself on her. So she returns in great shame to her family And now Jacob is suffering tremendous grief. He's suffering from tremendous shame. In a culture like that, to have something done to their daughter that way has put him to total shame. Shame through the family. They've lost their honor. Shame for him personally as a father who couldn't protect his daughter. So he's in a terrible, terrible place right then. And it's about to get worse. How many things sometimes they get worse? So he's in, he's in grief, he's in shame, and he's in terrible distress. And uh, so his circumstances then are like the circumstances of many people who've suffered a setback and are feeling weak or powerless, feeling shame over how things have worked out and what has happened, and are feeling somewhat uncertain about what to do next. Tremendous grief. And many people that's happened to last year. And then it gets worse than that. The guy's father comes over and he tries to make a peace treaty with Jacob. And he says, why don't we unite as one people, let your daughter marry my son, and uh, then we can trade together, we can become a very big, powerful tribe. So what's happening is he's wanting to bring him into a place of compromise. And uh, Jacob's two eldest sons do the negotiating. And the eldest son's names are Simeon and Levi. And so they are furious at what's been done to their daughter, their sister rather. And so what they do is they come up with a cunning plan. They say, oh, well, we, we follow the Lord. And one of the signs of following the Lord is you've got to get circumcised. So if you want this thing to go ahead and have this big trade deal, then uh, you've got to get circumcised. So everyone gets circumcised. And when they're all in pain, they come in with the sword and kill them all. 
So now Jacob's problems have got larger because his sons treacherously have come in and slain all the men in this, uh, this city or this town. And now everyone around will hear about it and come and attack him. So not only is he filled with shame and grief over what's happened to his daughter, the shame on his family, he's also filled with tremendous fear. He's not in a good place at all. And maybe some could identify in some measure with this of living in fear or feeling fear and uncertainty about what lies ahead, about feeling shame about what's been in the past, or even feeling grief about some kind of loss. And he says, now, you notice, now we enter the story. So there's the background. So it's within that background that all this happens. So now it says, notice here, a new beginning. New beginnings always start when we hear from God. Notice here it says, God spoke to him. God said to Jacob, arise, go to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. God said to Jacob. And notice that new initiatives come when you freshly hear from God. If we don't hear from God, we tend to carry on in the path that we're in. But God wants to speak to you about this year. He wants to speak to you and put dreams in your heart. He wants to reposition you for blessing. Wherever you are and whatever's ahead, we don't know what's ahead, but what we do know is unchanging is God. I think ahead this year, there are many more troubles. I think most of us have been thinking, oh, well, I'll just get the end of the year and it'll all go away and it'll be different next year. I don't think so. I think there's gonna be many, many difficulties and challenges this year. And so you notice here, God spoke to him and God gave him a word. Now, <laughs> we're gonna look at the word that God spoke to him. So whenever God wants to shift you or change you or reposition you for blessing, he will speak to you and give you direction. So one of the biggest things you could do at this time of the year is not just to party and celebrate and sit at the beach, but to position yourself to listen for what God wants to say about your year. And God spoke to him, God spoke to him. So whenever we're overwhelmed, God wants to speak to us. Wherever we're feeling grief, God wants to speak to us. Wherever we're feeling shame, God wants to speak to us. So whatever circumstance you're in right now, you may be holding your hands and clapping and smiling and looking, everything's well, but in your heart be facing many, many challenges God has a word for you if you'll open your ears to listen to him. Maybe even through this message, you'll hear that word. So you notice then God's directives that he gave. God spoke several things to him. The first word God spoke to him, arise, get up, get up. That'd be a word for many people here. Arise, get up. No one makes any changes sitting down. There's no change in your life if you stay where you are, sitting, waiting for something to happen. God always requires we do something. See, sitting down in the Bible often meant defeat. How about that? King Saul, when he was defeated, sat under a tree, depressed about the size of the opposition and not knowing what to do. And while he's sitting there depressed, his son Jonathan gets up and says, well, Let's go and see what the Lord might do. And they won the day. They precipitated the battle, it won the day. So, so sitting under a tree is often a sign of defeat. Elijah, when Elijah was overcome by a spiritual attack by Jezebel, he was sitting under a tree wishing to die. So, so frequently in the Bible, sitting down or sitting under a tree or sitting it out means you're defeated. You're depressed, 
you haven't got the motivation to get going. This is a year to get moving. This is a year for you to rise up, not just to physically stand up, but to stand up in your spirit and believe you could do something different. It's an arising of faith. God will not do everything for you. He requires you participate. This is a problem many Christians have. They're waiting for God. Well, you know, there's a program on TV called Waiting for God. It's about old people sitting down waiting to die. It's nothing about faith. God wants you to arise, to make a decision to be proactive in your future this year. Whatever it is, your marriage, your relationships, your family, finances, whatever it is, become proactive. Don't wait around for someone else. You make a decision to change. That's the first thing, arise, arise, wake up. If you're lukewarm and apathetic and your spiritual life is dead, God's word is rise up, wake up. Amen. Second thing God spoke to him was this, go up to Bethel. Notice, go up, which refers to coming to a higher place, which means he was in a lower place. And God always draws us to a better thing in our life. He draws us up higher. Whatever you've been living like, God wants to lift you this year, wants to lift you up, but you've got to go up. You can't just sit around and wait for someone to come and pray for you, someone to lay hands on you, some great meeting, some great experience. You've got to make a decision. So notice there he said, go up to Bethel. Now the word or the every Bible word has a meaning. The name Bethel means the house of God. Literally that, Bethel, house, God, the house of God. But Bethel uh, in Jacob's life was very significant for him because it's where he had an encounter with God. He was in fear for his life and he's running again. And he has an unexpected encounter with God at a place called Bethel. And Bethel was a place where his grandfather had built an altar to God. Bethel was a place where his grandfather had prayed, made sacrifices, encountered God and had opened a realm of the spirit for his descendants to enter. It's no coincidence that the very place Jacob stopped to sleep when he was running away was where God had opened an entrance through the faith of his grandfather Abraham. So our prayer is not just for ourselves or our children, it's also for our grandchildren that what God has brought us into in experiencing Him, they will have their own encounter with God. But someone has to make the way. You are that person. You are that person. You're the generation to do that. So what happened there was, this was called, uh, Jacob called it the house of God or the, the gate of heaven. So he referred to it as a place where the supernatural of heaven touched earth and something changed. Now, how about that? See, so, so Bethel, Bethel then is a place of encounter. So when he says arise and go up to Bethel, he's saying you need to arise and come back to encounters with God again. So for him, what happened in Bethel? Bethel was a place uh, of personal encounter with God. The Bible tells us Bethel, meaning the house of God, you are the house of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 
verse 19, it says, you are the temple of the living God. So for you, Bethel is not some place you go to. You are called to be the house of God. You're called in your personal life to experience and encounter him so you can carry his presence and blessing to the community. What is stopping you? To come to Bethel means I need to redirect my heart back towards God again. But Bethel, the house of God, is not just individual, it's also corporate. We together form the house of God. In Ephesians 2, 20 to 22, it says, says, in whom you are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. So not only are we called to a personal walk with God, you're called to corporate life. A lot of people today are very uncommitted in the sense they don't understand the need to belong to a body. Jesus is building a corporate body. It's not all about you. If your faith is all about you, you've got a Western corrupted mindset. It's not a biblical or kingdom mindset. The kingdom mindset is about a company of people. It's about a group of people. It's about a a community of people. You say, well, I don't like any of them. Well, you're not called to like them, are you? Well, now, come on, get it. See, People think that the church is full of all these great people, but it's not gonna be like that. This is all people who are on a journey. So, so the church originally, the church, word Jesus used for church means those who are called out into a place of assembly or a place of governmental decrees. So you're called out of the community to live and walk with God and influence the community. We're called to one another. That means we need to assemble and meet and worship together and hear what God is saying. And we also need to be in smaller groups where we connect and fellowship and share life with one another where you become known. See, a lot of people today are lonely. They've got all this time on social media, but they're really lonely. The way you resolve loneliness is lower the social media and get connected to people in a group. Loneliness is a huge problem. We're not meant to be alone, not good for man to be alone. God wants us in community. In community, others see what you've got and encourage you to come forth. In community, you can contribute. In community, you can receive. In community, you begin to learn to love people. You know, when I came out of university, I was, had a master's degree in physics and math, head full of knowledge, heart that was very proud. <laughs> That's how it was. And God took us to a church in Dannyburg. There wasn't a single qualified person there they were just all farm laborers. They didn't even understand. Well, you got school CA? Oh, you're pretty brainy. They can, if they don't understand that there's more than school certificate, then there's no use even talking about it. Won't mean anything. And God just stripped away the importance of all those things to teach us what it's like to be in a community where people love and connect with one another. So the church is a community. So he says, go up to Bethel. So perhaps God is calling you to remember your call to house's presence and start to build a life that will do that. Or maybe you, God is speaking to you and saying, you need to break out of the pattern of neglect and start to commit and connect to build the house of God. We're called as sons to be builders of the house. That means we have a relationship with one another and we participate in what is happening. So if the family is doing this together, we're all doing this together. Not just sitting, I've got a bit of a cold, I'm out of here. What is that? What is that? That's just the height of childishness and selfishness. 
Come on, you've got you to learn we're called to something bigger and better. How does the church know about God unless the community relates in a way that reveals Him? Come on. Well, you all got real quiet about this. He says, go there. And then he says, arise, stir yourself up, get your life back in order, get back into the church and start walking with God again. He says, and then he says, dwell there. In other words, that dwell there means to remain there. In other words, now listen, you can't build anything if you're casual and uncommitted. Now, now listen, you cannot build anything if you're casual about it. Oh, I may turn up to class, I may not. Oh, I may turn up the exam, I may not. Now listen, you can't build anything in life that way. You have to build by being committed to something. So all building requires you dwell, that you remain committed. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of God. There's a planting. You can't just keep plucking a plant up and replanting it all over. It will wither and die. God wants you planted. That means you must make commitments. That's the only way that you can actually build anything there. So we need to dwell. So we need to be committed. So you can't have a casual relationship with God and expect He's gonna bless you and give you all the fuzzies. Nothing. You want the blessings of God? Build a committed relationship. It's a marriage. Turn up. You know, you, you imagine a marriage, trying to make a marriage work, and the husband or the wife says, well, listen, you know, I'll be there on uh, one day a week, but the rest of the week I'm out, I'm partying. Now, that, that's not going to build a marriage. So in other words, you need to see the relationship with God is about a lifestyle of connection. So we dwell there. We, we, we become religious otherwise. So the reason many people have no power in their life, the reason many of you are sitting struggling with the same problems this year that you had last year is because you haven't learned how to connect into the source of life and change. You become casual. You can't be casual and expect to get anywhere. No one gets anywhere being casual about it. You get somewhere by being committed to it. Then suddenly your, your fruit shows. So we're called into an intimate, ongoing relationship with the Lord. And we're called to participate corporately, to belong and be part of something, someone. We're not part of just the church in the world. God put you into a local church and you look around and there he's put you with them. You say, I don't like them. Okay, well, now you can learn how to love. Well, they hurt me. Well, now you can learn how to forgive. They may have been sent there just to annoy you. Could well be. Well, they're annoying me. I don't like them. Well, that's got nothing to do with anything. God's called you to grow. And that person, you don't know why they're so annoying. Did you get close enough to them to find their pain, their journey, the shame they had, the struggle they've got, and why they've pulled this mirage, this, this masquerade around that covers what they're really like, and they're needing someone who'll love them enough to get into that world? Come on, this is how it works, eh? The, the, the next thing he says is make an altar. Oh my goodness, make an altar. How to make an altar? Make something in the corner. Well, you can do that if you want. But, but just think through what an altar is, then you understand it. So an altar is a place where people used to offer a sacrifice. So an altar was a platform that was dedicated for serving or sacrifice to some spirit being. But an altar was designed by God. The first altar is found in heaven. Before the world began, Jesus Christ was set aside, crucified for all of us. Before, the, before heaven, before the throne of God, there's an altar. So the, the, this thing of an altar is a way that God has established for heaven and earth to meet. 
There's an altar, a place where someone offers an offering that costs them to God. How does God redeem mankind? He sent Jesus Christ on the cross to give his life a sacrifice. This is the altar of God, the cross of Christ. So the Old Testament, they built these fancy altars and things, or altars out of stone, but Jesus ended all that when he died on the cross and became the offering that gives us access to every blessing. It says, just so you understand this, always associated with uh, altars are powers. So people who are involved in witchcraft form altars that open the doorway to demons to access from the spirit world to come into their lives. Where did they get that idea from? It came because they copied God. God set it up that a sacrifice would open the realm of heaven for heaven to come into earth. Always it's the same way. There's always an altar, there's always a place of encountering God. Now the altar that we have is in our heart. It's what you do with your heart and your heart affections. And so we come first of all to Christ and our sin is taken away and we receive the life of God. But then your life walking with God is a life of altars, daily altars, of surrendering something so you can get something better back. An altar is a place of exchange. So you can hold on to your sin or you can receive the peace of God. You choose. You can hold on to your addiction or you can choose freedom. So when you serve your addiction, you're serving a demon. When you let go your addiction and turn into God and receive from him freedom, you now start to walk serving God. So we need to build an altar. So altars are built in our heart. We make a decision. That's why God wants your heart. Not just you doing stuff, he wants your heart. He wants you. He wants a love relationship with you. So he calls you. So how did, how did, you need to respond when God's speaking like this, eh? So what altar is God asking you to build? We need to respond. So what did, what did Jacob do? Here it is here. It says, he, he obeyed. Uh, in Genesis 35 too, he said to his household and all who were with him, put away the foreign gods among you, purify yourselves and change your garments. Let us arise, go to Bethel. I'll make an altar there to God who answered me by fire in the day of my distress and has been with me in all the way I've gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods in their hands and the earrings in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak tree in Shechem. Now, notice several things here. Number one, Jacob leads his household. Listen, men, you need to lead your household. Don't expect the woman to do it all. You're called to lead. Lead your household in prayer. Lead your household in coming to God. Lead your household in the things of God. That's your role. That's your job. If you're not doing it, you're failing your job. It's the assignment God gave every man who's, a, is a, who's married and got a family. You must lead your family in the things of God. Lead them in prayer. Lead them to the Word of God. Lead them to the house of God. Lead them in the things of God. And that's what he did. He led his household. He told his household and all who were with him. See, so fear and compromise will cause us to draw back from your role of leadership. If you're going to lead, it means you influence. This is a year for you to lead, to become an influencer. The best way to become an influencer is to start by following the Lord. How can you lead someone if you won't follow anyone? You're just an independent rogue. How do you expect your family to follow you if you don't live a life where you're following the Lord? Oh, got quiet then, didn't it? <laughs> well, we're called, everyone's called to lead, and we lead best when we're following Jesus. That's why it says in Ephesians 5, be imitators of God, be imitators of God, 
And uh, it says, like little children, and walk in love like Christ walked in love. So it says, we're to copy what God is. We're to copy Jesus. Okay, so, so that's what we're called to do. So the first thing is he led his household. Second thing is, take and put away the foreign gods. Now, no one mentioned anything about foreign gods. Now, how about this? When God is connecting with you, he's not focused on all your mistakes and failures. The thing about the foreign gods was his response, Jacob's response to God connecting with him. So notice, God focuses on our new beginnings, not our weaknesses and failures. Religious people focus on the weaknesses and failures because that's the way they're programmed to think in terms of failures. God thinks about your new beginning. So if you look into the heart of God and see what he's thinking, he's thinking about the plans he has for you, good. When we come to try and pray to God, we think about all the things we've done dumb and wrong. Something's out out of kilter here. Something's not right. You're not thinking about yourself as God sees you. You'll come under condemnation. That's not how God dreamed. God never mentioned the foreign God. He didn't even mention it. So people who are hassled and condemned and struggling over your faults and weaknesses and failures, God not even looking at those things. He sees them, but that's not his focus. His focus is on you because he loves you and believes in you and wants a great year for you. How about that? See? So what had happened is, Jacob had for a long time, like many people here, tolerated foreign gods in his household. I wonder in the last year, how many have tolerated foreign gods in your life? And therefore you need to do what he did. God is speaking to you. The first thing to do, get rid of those foreign gods. See, so (laughs) foreign gods refers to small idols that they worshiped. They were small idols that they carried around. And idols in the Bible open you to defilement by demonic spirits. So the problem's not the idol, it's what you connect to when you have an idol. So what is an idol? An idol is just anything you substitute for God. And because you might be sitting there saying, well, I don't have little idols. Really? Really? My experience is you're working to get rid of your little idols all your life. Because the idols we have are idols of the heart, not little things you go down and bow to. Now, maybe you come from a culture where they do bow down and offer food to idols. It's very obvious these, eh? But, but for in the West, we don't do that. I think we're better. No, no, our idols are in the heart. God's concern is what's in your heart. How about that? So, so people, people hold an idol in their heart because they're hurt and broken and they don't trust God will bless them. I better say that one again. People (laughs) are hurt and broken in their heart and they don't trust God, so they turn to something else. It's all because we don't trust God as good and really, not only good, He's really good. No, no, He's really, really good. God is good all the time. But we think we haven't done well. God isn't that good that He'd overlook all of that and so we run away from God. And what do we run to? We run to the things that people run to. So, so what do people turn to idols? People turn to idols for refuge. A refuge is a place of hiding in a storm. So you go to a refuge when you're in trouble and you're wanting to hide. So what do you run to when you're in pressure? Do you run into God or do you run to something else? Run to TV, run to social media, run to relationships, run to alcohol. Whatever you run to for your refuge to make you feel better, that's your idol. Oh my. Some people run to religion. 
They're busy, busy, busy surfing. Some people, there's all kinds of things. Some people run into their job. Their job is their refuge. That's why they're not at home and their home is in a chaos because the man is finding refuge in his idol, which is his work. Oh, we're getting real quiet now. Okay, the Bible tells us. But God is my refuge. God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Right? So what are you gonna believe? This is always about what we believe and turn to, you see? Uh, the th- second thing that people turn to idols for is strength. Uh, things that will help us to stand up again. I need a drink. Well, <laughs> you're turning it into an idol, something to help you cope with the day. That's, that's, that you're turning it into an idol. It's becoming your strength. For some people, they turn to anger and violence because in anger and violence, they feel strong. For some people, they turn to abusing others and yelling at others because in that, they feel powerful. No, 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 no. You're hurting everyone and becoming an idiot. You're bowing down and allowing the idol of hatred and anger to flow through you and to file your household. Don't do it. You need to repent of that idol. <laughs> See, so David said, the Lord is the strength of my life. See, there's something inside him. God is the strength of my life. That's not an accident. That took place over a lot of little decisions every day. Third thing that an idol is for is a source of glory. It makes you feel good about yourself. It makes you feel good about yourself. Yeah, a lot of things. Well, we want people to like us. There's an idol right there. Well, we want people to be nice to us. Oh, there's an idol right there. So we've got all these little idols in the heart to make us feel better about ourselves. So what is it that you look to to make you feel better about yourself? Some people feel better because they're more educated. Listen, all those things are just idols. The Bible says, don't let the wise man glory in his wisdom or the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he knows me and understands me. So we need to glory in God, to find our strength in God, to find our refuge in God. That just doesn't happen. So God wants to be your refuge and strength. He wants to be your glory. He wants to be the one who'll help you in your life this year, but you have to turn to Him. Notice then what He did. He got rid of the the foreign gods in their hands. So so notice where were the gods? The gods were in their hands. The hands always is a a picture of your work. You work with your hands. You do things with your hands. See, so the first thing he did was got rid of the gods in their hands. That's That's the things in your daily activities. Now, it's not just the things you do. It's the heart behind it. Notice he had to get rid of the earrings in their ears. Men with earrings. Earrings and ears. But these earrings symbolize something. They they symbolize affection and loyalty. They symbolize hearing. So here's the question. What is it you constantly are listening to that is directing your life? Is there some demon's got a hook on that earring in your ear and every time he wants to control you, just pulls on your ear. See, you could be listening to rejection talk to you all the time. Rejection tells you you're not wanted, you're not accepted, you're not good enough. You could be listening to the voice of lust. You could be listening to the voice of unforgiveness. You could be listening to the voice of fear. Look at last year. How many people are listening to the voice of fear? Panicking. Some never came out of their house after the lockdown. <laughs> after one month, they stayed there. Come out next year. You see, that's fear doing all of that. What's going on? That voice 
is a demonic spirit and you're listening to it, you're bowing down to the idol of fear. No wonder he said, get rid of the things that you're worshiping, the works of your hand, the things in your hands. And he said, get rid of the things that you're listening to. So, so, so he buried them under the oak tree. The oak, oak is always in the Bible, specifically uh, a, a picture of the cross of Christ. Whatever we've been listening to that's taking us away from God to other things, bring them to the cross. Whatever you're doing that's taking you away from God, bring it to the cross. That's what he's saying. He said, ah, no, I don't want to do that. So you put away. The word, what does the word put away mean? To put away means to get rid of or repent. And see, people hear the word put away and they go, or repent. And they kind of kind of get all weird things about repent. They get religious about repentance because they don't know what repentance is. In Acts chapter three, it says, repent, be converted. Why? So that something can happen for you. So when we think in a religious mindset of repenting, we think, I've got to let go of something. I've got to let it go. I don't want to let it go. I like it. So we're wrestling. We don't want to let go. And we think that God just wants to take stuff away from us all the time. Why do we think that? Because we don't understand God. We've got a lie of God. Something's hooking our ear. It says, repent and be turned around so that a times of refreshing can come out of the presence of the Lord. So when God calls us to repent, it's not just to let go something. To repent means that I turn from what I thought was helping me, but it was leaving me a mess and draining my life away, and to turn and face God and begin to embrace and walk into Him. That's why repent and faith always go hand in hand. What is it do you need to turn away from because it's not helping your life, not helping your growth, not helping your character, and you need to turn to the living God and trust and believe Him. Repent and believe and refreshing blessing from the presence of God. It's all about you learning to live and walk in the blessing this year. It's all about letting go of the things that hinder or obstruct you experiencing God. What is it that's obstructing you experiencing God? That's what you want to let go. It'll be different for everyone. To, repentance just means I'm breaking free of the stuff that's messing my life up and I'm exchanging it now for the stuff that'll help me go forward. Oh, you all got so quiet, see? It's not just about, listen, it's not just about stopping doing something because every year, this time of year, I must stop smoking. I must cut my drinking now. I must lose some weight. And of course, you all know what happens. People say the same thing every year and it never, it never changes. Why does it never change? Because their desire or their thought to change their behavior is not connected to the things of the heart. God is looking at your heart. That's why many people come along to call and say, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And they really mean it. But then they're doing it next week. You think, well, what happened? You were up here crying last week and now you're doing it again. This is what went on. No repentance. And that's why people live in cycles of defeat because they come up and they enjoy the experience. They've been touched by God. The tears have come. It was genuine. It was real. I don't want this thing. I want more of you. And then they go home and then the same things keep happening. Why? If you don't ask why, you keep just in the same flow. And here's the why. Because repentance is not just turning away from something. It is turning to set your affection on God. Now get this, 
your heart has to be trained to do that. You can be trained in sin. In other words, every time you have this desire and you gave into it, you begin to build a habit pattern of turning to sin to comfort you when you're in distress. It's a habit. You built it over a long time. Habits don't change quickly. Now, you can have a massive encounter that can bring dramatic transformation, but if that doesn't happen, what you will need to do is to practice repentance, which means setting your heart and affection on God. Now, how do you set your heart on God? That would be the good question to ask, wouldn't it? If I asked you this question, what's four times three? How many can give me an answer just, just like that? You're smart. Twelve. You think, oh, I didn't have to think about that. That was so easy. How did you learn that? You learned it by heart. You learned it by repetition. So what I need to do is on a daily basis, reject what I've been holding and the lie that's with it and turn and set my affection upon God. I need to speak to my heart, my affections upon the Lord. Today, I set my affection upon you, Lord. I set my affection upon you this day. I set my heart towards you. I stand against the lie and reject it. I set my heart to love you passionately. It's the setting our heart. In Colossians 3.1, set your affection on things above. Well, it's a process. And that's why people get so discouraged. So they don't understand God's way or process. And they think if they just pray one prayer, it'll all be over. No, now I need to set my affection daily to keep my heart directed until my heart is trained to hate that and love what's good. It's not so complicated, is it? By heart, learned it by heart, kept repeating it. Speaking the word of God. So I better finish here then. So he built an altar and God responded and God responds. You notice there that God came and visited him and God blessed him. So the three things that happened when God blessed him were very, very simple. The first thing God said to him, your name will no longer be called Jacob, it'll be called Israel. The first thing that changed was God now refers to him by his destiny, not by his past. He said, you're never gonna call me, you never call yourself Jacob to anyone. I want you to say, this is who I am. I'm not a failure. I'm not a loser. I'm not a reject. I'm not a hopeless person. I'm not an ignorant person. No, this is who I am. I'm a man of God. I'm a woman of God. I'm a hungry for God person. I'm a pursuer of God. I'm a person of destiny. You've got to change how you talk about yourself. Number one, so God changes. So when he sees you, he doesn't see a failure. He sees a person of destiny. So start to agree with him. The devil will keep reminding you where you came from. He reminds you of your failures. Stop listening. He's got your ear. Get rid of the earring. Repent. Start to meditate on the truth. I am blessed. Every day of my life, I am blessed. I'm blessed with every blessing. Today, I walk in blessing. Yeah. See? That's how you do it. See, the second thing that God gave him, he, gave him, he, he promised three things to him. The second, first thing was the name. The second thing that was promised to him was that he would be blessed. He would be blessed. This is how he'd be blessed in his encounter with God. Uh, the encounter that he had, is a th uh, the first thing that happened was that his name was, uh, was, was added to him. Then the second thing, there was a promise of being fruitful. The third was a promise of land. How about that? The promise of a new identity. In other words, living differently out of your destiny this year. See, the promise of being fruitful, that you will touch the lives of people and influence them and win souls. The promise of inheritance. 
that you'll start to grow financially, you'll start to prosper in your life. Those are the three promises God made to him. God wants to make those promises to you, but he's saying, arise, go up to Bethel and build an altar and have a fresh experience with God and start to walk with him. Because what he has reserved for you is that you walk in a different identity this year. You walk in who you're supposed to be. Not living about what people think. No, no, no. I'm not worried about that. Why? Because I bought the altar of people. I bought the old idol of people's opinions and brought it to the, to the cross. What do you need to let go of that's holding you back? What is it you need to bury at the cross? What is it you need to hold on to? He was blessed. Change name, fruitful inheritance. How do you love that? I love the interesting thing that happens there is that after he aligned himself with God, he got rid of the idols and then he built an altar. This is what happens. Immediately, his spiritual authority was restored. Now everyone was scared of him. Before he scared of everyone, now they're all scared of him. The second thing is God visits him and makes promises to him. God is wanting this year to restore spiritual authority to his people because of the warfare that's going on and will increase in these end times. In order for authority to be restored, you have to break your agreement with the things that erode your authority and learn how to exercise your authority. So this year, God wants to restore your authority. This year, God wants to touch you with his presence in such a way you walk in your new identity you walk and become fruitful and God prospers you in different areas of your life. Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and build an altar there. That's a verse for everyone for this year. Take the message, play it over. It comes out of the heart of God for you. Repentance, learn what it is. Not a big deal but it changes your life and brings you to a place of blessing. The blessing God wants is a fresh encounter. Wants to activate you with new authority. Wants to activate you into a new life of blessing. But it starts when you hear His voice and respond. You close your eyes right now. If you're watching online, would you close your eyes right now? This word is for you, wherever you're watching. It's for 2021. Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and build an altar to God. For every one of you, that will mean something different. What building an altar will mean will be different. But you do need to respond because of what God has in mind for you. The first thing Jacob did was he recognized he was living a compromised life commanded his household and bought all the idols, things that they now were putting their hand to, things that they were listening to and brought them to the cross. What do you need to bring to the cross? What do you need to bring to the Lord today and break your agreement with it and turn your heart back to Him? If you've been listening to the idol of rejection, people have ruled your life. But God loves you and accepts you. Will you let go of that idol? and embrace the truth. Be 
listening to shame, God says, I carried your shame on the cross. I give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Beauty for ashes. God wants to restore your authority to freshly encounter you, to cause you to live in your destiny this year, to make you fruitful in your influence, to add blessing physically, tangibly to you. But you've got to make that decision. Just while our eyes are closed and heads are bowed, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you personally about? In what way did He challenge your heart? In what way have you been serving idols, fear, lust, greed, envy, rejection, unforgiveness, fear, unbelief? There's so many of them, they're just innumerable. What is it? that you have been listening to that's kept you from being passionate for the Lord and serving Him. I'm too busy. No, you're not. I've got all these things to do. No, no, no. Why don't you repent right now? Build an altar to the Lord. Jesus, I surrender to you. I set my affection upon you. And I purpose to come near to you today and this year to build a daily time with you, a family time with you. I purpose, Lord, to dwell in your presence. Teach me how to do it. Today, Lord, I hear you speaking to me that I need to put some things away. I gladly do it. Because your word says times of refreshing will come out of your presence if I just let go of those things. I'm believing for those times of refreshing. For everyone today, this will be different. For those watching online, it'll be different for you. But one thing remains the same. God wants to encounter and bless you. He wants to make 2021 a great year for you. I can feel His presence here resting on everyone now. Perhaps there are some of you in a moment need to stand and just make your way to the front. You could kneel or stand and, and just lift your hands to the Lord and make your own altar, make your own place of repentance. Let go things, make commitment. It's always good to respond in some tangible way. Let's just stand together. Those who'd like to come forward to the front, just make an altar, either by kneeling or by standing and lifting your hands or by bowing your head. It's just a personal thing. God, there's things I want to let go of. There's things I want to reach out to form this year. Lord, help me. Would you do that as we just worship the Lord in this final song?
very difficult task, very challenging task, made more difficult not just by enemy opposition, but also by the fickleness of people, immaturity of people. And so I want us to stand in prayer and agree that this year, this year is a year for them, a fresh encounter of blessing, of blessing, new authority in the Holy Ghost, new spiritual authority in their preaching, in their ministering, that there would be walking into a whole new degree of their destiny, that there would be a new degree of fruitfulness, entry into the community, souls being saved, that there would be financial and other physical enlargement and blessing, not just upon them, but upon the whole house of Ascend. Are we ready? Come on, stretch your hand out right now. Stretch your hand. Let's begin to pray in the Spirit, pray in tongues. Father, today we pray for a fresh outpouring, a fresh mantling to come upon day, to come upon Kate. Father, today I call that heaven would open over their lives today and that the blessing that came upon Jacob would come upon Pastor David, come upon Pastor Kate. Father, that blessing you brought on Jacob would come upon them. Father, today we decree fresh favor. We decree fresh encounters. We decree blessing. We decree increase in spiritual and natural authority. We decree increase in their stature and destiny. We decree an increase in fruitfulness and soul winning. We decree an increase in disciple making and leadership developing. We decree an increase in prosperity. Thank you. 